Hello, this is Cocktails and Roses. I'm Osha Ginsberg. I happen to host the Bachelor shows in Australia, and I'm joined by Alicia Aitken-Radburn, who has been on some Bachelor shows in Australia. How are you this week, Alicia? I am great. Episode 12, which we're going to dive into today, has got to be some of the most authentic, love-struck drama I have watched on The Bachelor ever before. Ever before. Ever it's a big call, but when when we dive into it, and if you've watched it, you know what I'm talking about. There's a lot of bombshells. There's a lot of he said, she said. Someone arrives back at the manch, and there's camping. So if you haven't watched episodes 10, 11, and 12 of The Bachelor, what are you doing? Stop this, go watch them, and come back when you're done. Because if you keep listening without watching these things, you'll be like... Oh, man, you told me all the things. They're called spoilers, and we're about to do heaps of them. All right, let's do it. All right, Alicia, episode 10 of The Bachelor with uh, Jimmy. This is Cocktails and Roses. I'm Osha. That's Alicia. We're about to talk about episode 10 of The Bachelor, which involved Jimmy taking Holly to West Head. Have you ever been up there to West Head? I have not, but it looked beautiful. Oh, Jimmy very casually dropped that that's where he would ride his bike because Jim and his mum did heaps of triathlons together. Wow, just casually. <laughs> they would do a lot of training rides up there. And I, before kids and before Audrey, I would often just be like, I would spend five hours up there. You can easily do 100Ks. I've done 170Ks up there. Just riding around through that national park is absolutely stunning. And where, they, where he actually looks down on the home and away beach, that's where I will often stop and have a snack. I'll bring my lunch and I'll go and I'll eat my lunch up there. They're looking out. They're looking straight down at the lighthouse of Baron Joe. But if you turn to the left where the cameras were pointing at them, right behind them is Central Coast. So you're looking straight at Lion Island and you're looking over at King Cumber and Kilcare. Like it's right there. It's beautiful. It's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Jimmy takes her on a bit of a bushwalk because around there, it's absolutely beautiful. The Kiringai National Park is glorious. There's like kangaroos on the beach and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, oh, great. I'll take you to the swimming hole that I used to go to. Uh, I think it was probably around about April or mid-April by the time we shot this. Oh. Judging by Jimmy's, honestly, exceptional rig, but my TV's pretty good. The cellular <laughs> density of Jimmy's nipples showed to me that it was very, very cold in the water. Oh, well, I love how Jimmy says to her as soon as they're looking over the beautiful, it's a beautiful scene we've got set up, but he starts off with saying that they're not going to be doing anything adventurous <laughs> or, you know, adrenaline. Yeah, yeah. And this could, like, I imagine that their hearts were racing and it's not just because of the beautiful connection that they're forming. It looked freezing. Yeah, it's like we're, we're doing the Wim Hof method because it's romantic to, <laughs> to jump in freezing cold water. I mean, it worked though. They sure did. And I think that this resulted in one of the most the most natural kisses that I've seen between a contestant and our bachelor for quite some time. Mm. Usually kisses come, you know, after a rose. And I think it's not until we get to this point in the season that we see kisses coming more naturally. And this moment between Holly and Jimmy in this very cold swimming hole is just very natural, very authentic, and very affectionate. Yeah. She's got her legs around him, and there were two moments for me that stood out. Firstly, he basically nuzzled into her neck at one point, and then they very naturally, they're not looking at each other. There's not 
And this takes another step of a connection. There's one step where you're both looking at each other. You're both very attracted to each other. The sexual tension is high. You're looking in each other's eyes and you go for the kiss. Yeah. The next level here is they're just sort of like in this swimming hole, not making eye contact and their heads sort of come around and they just naturally lean in for this kiss and it was, oh, superb. Oh, yeah. That Jimmy could get the two of them there. I mean, I don't know about you, but watching them pick their way across the very clearly rocky bottom of this, it was like, that's Lego under your feet on a cold morning. Like I'm flinching watching them do it, you know? And that they then found their way from there to this beautiful, snuzzly, romantic moment it was just lovely. Holly talked about how difficult it was watching Jimmy form connections. She thought, oh, yeah, I'd be sweet with that. I'll be fine. Clearly not, you know? Must have a challenge, I'm sure, for her. I also appreciated this because I feel like this is not a conversation that necessarily comes up as often as we would expect it to. Mm. I don't think that, you know, a lot of the time our conversations are around the fact that we're developing feelings for each other. But I really liked that Holly was honest and basically put it out there that it is really challenging having girls. And you can see it later on in this episode with Carly and Jimmy's mum. But Carly is speaking of their connection in this very, very similar language to how Holly is probably thinking about her connection with Jimmy. Mm. And so when you're hearing someone else say it, it must just be so difficult. I feel like if you've got the connection there and it is authentic, it's very hard to feel that anybody else could be on the same level. So yeah. Oh, it's a hard one. I'm glad that she was upfront and honest about how she was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, Jimmy, the trickiest part about being the bachelor or the bachelorette is you can't really say back to the person. It's like a real life version of being left on red forever. You know, <laughs> you cannot write, you can't say anything back because it's unfair on anybody else. And um, it's really quite tough when Jimmy's mum shows up, Jimmy ends up having a chat with a bunch of ladies who uh, all fabulously drive there and like, oh my God, look at the features of this fantastic vehicle. Like integration. <laughs> Is it a sunroof day? I think it's a sunroof day. Wow. Oh my God. <laughs> I think it's a sunroof day. Oh my God. It's so great. Like, come on. TV is expensive. It doesn't pay for itself and we'd like to thank MG for helping out. But I thought it was brilliant. And I love that at this stage of the series, the girls are on board. They're like, oh, yeah. wow, magnificent safety features. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for paying for this next location. (laughs) That's the sound of a crowbar you heard dropping there. We had to pull it out in post, but it was great. I love it. Um, It was interesting. Jimmy's mum is Susan. She's a psychologist. All right. So considering she's got these superpowers of being able to see what people might actually really think because of her career as a psychologist. As far as she's concerned, Carly, awesome. Steph still has emotions around her ex. Do you think, do you think that Susan's on the money there, Alicia? This was, I was not expecting this. I, I thought we would be stuck on See You Next Tuesday for basically the rest of the series until that came to light with Jimmy. But now we've got this new plot point emerge that, and, you know, Steph does speak very warmly about her ex. And I, my initial reaction was, I didn't think that it was particularly problematic to speak warmly of your ex. I thought it was actually quite nice, to be honest. But, you know, she is a psychologist and 
we only get to see five minutes of the interaction. And so I do think my trust probably goes into Jimmy's mum if she's picking something up that seems a little off. And it, it is hard to grapple with that you are in an experience to find the one, allegedly, and it's not just the conversation that Steph is having with Jimmy's mum. We learn later at the cocktail party that the ex has been a strand that has come up in the mansion quite a few times. Carly ended up getting the rose there, which I'm sure she was very happy about. And at that cocktail party, Jimmy, he wants to start unpacking some things. Lily and Tani both take him aside and just kind of let him know about what's going on with Steph. What do you make of the detective bachelor? I know Matt Agnew went detective when he was trying to get to the bottom of the DC scandal. What do you think of when Batch goes detective? I love it. I love the pacing. I think it's very fun. And I, you know, not only do we learn about Steph, which I don't think that we were surprised about, this J cliffhanger, I am just, I am gooped and gagged as those who watch RuPaul's Drag Race would describe. (laughs) I've watched a lot of The Bachelor. I have consumed a lot of this series. I have been on this series. I hate to say it, but for me, a lot of Batchy can be a little predictable. As I said at the top of that episode, I know the beats of the show. Yeah. This is just completely thrown me. I did not expect it from Jay. But I am not surprised. Like, this is definitely a thing when we take it outside of the show. And I think this is what I'm so excited about. Like, I can't wait to get to episode 11 because it's taking us out of the show into real life and the impacts of the show on these girls' lives. And basically what Jay has said is, Allegedly, we should say, we don't know whether Tani is just doing a Steph and just stirring the pot. But Tani says that Jay has perpetually said that she would prefer to come second because it's sort of better. The implication is it's better for your career and how Australia views you. And that is within the context of the show, uh, a misstep from Jay. <laughs> well, let me let me... Offer a different perspective here, Alicia Aitken Radburn. Yes. We saw, at least we saw on camera when Steph said, oh, Holly's a clacker, right? If you don't know, I'm referring to clacker. You can do the maths, all right? Now, the way she dropped it, as far as I'm concerned, like as a Queenslander, it was pretty throwaway. Right, yes. It wasn't, she wasn't looking her in the eye going, you, yes, you, because of your actions, I think you are an absolute clacker. No, she didn't do that. She just went, oh, what a clacker. You know, yeah, it was a bit throwaway. She did use the word, but it was a bit throwaway. But people took it as like, oh my god, she called her a clacker. But was it? No, she kind of threw it away. But it became quite a big deal. Similarly, what if Jay had said as a self-protection mechanism? Yes, very interesting perspective, Osha. As a self-protection mechanism, when she is also dealing with the same thing that Holly's dealing with, of like, oh my God, I'm seeing Carly come back with a rose. I'm seeing Holly come back with a rose. I'm hearing these ladies talk about how much they dig this guy. Oh my God, oh my God. Like, I thought I was right into him. I've got this business lounge key. I thought he was right into me. Da-da-da-da-da-da. I'm seeing connections from everywhere else. So to protect myself, is like, oh, well, if I don't make it to the end, if I come second, well, they do better anyway. You know, what if it was that? Yeah, and I think it very well, you know, I I was actually very fixated and you turned me straight away, Osha. I 
I do believe that that could very well easily be a self-protection thing. Mm, Yeah. Let's just say that within the context of the show and also in real life, some thoughts need to stay inside our head. (laughs) (laughs) We do not need to. It's very hard because when you're feeling emotional, when you're insecure, sometimes that can be the catalyst for thoughts that should be inside thoughts Mm -hmm. to just emerge from our mouths. (laughs) And it's very, it's one of the tough things to negotiate in life. We see it with Steph and her throwaway clacker line. That should also have remained an inside my head thought. Yeah. And as someone who has at times struggles in my life to, you know, it's the classic people say, oh, I don't have any filter. Unfortunately, at some point we need to learn to have a filter because Jay's just impacted her own experience in potentially, you know, if it was self-protective. Filters are important. She's now done herself a disservice because she's allowed someone to be able to recontextualize that for her. Yeah. And it's going to be very interesting, you know. We see at the end of this episode, Steph has very successfully been able to talk herself out of many a situation. And, you know, we, we can also see that within Holly's experience. Holly's also had challenges along the way mm. in terms of the fact that Jimmy's sister was a little 50-50 on her, gave Jimmy some concerns. Holly's been able to sort of negotiate through that and reestablish her connection with Jimmy. I think it's going to be interesting to see whether Jay can do the same. It was interesting when Jimmy took Steph aside to get to the bottom of things. Steph was, she had all the weapons up. She had all the guns drawn. She had the armor ready. The same armor that we've seen the whole time from Steph when she's being challenged on her choices. The same eyes, the same steely gaze, the same hand on heart. You know, the same thing. Mm. But Jimmy, wasn't it interesting? Like, he just says one or two words... And the whole thing came crumbling apart. Wait, do you think that the crying was genuine? <laughs> I personally, th- I'd like to think that in that moment, it was, oh, crikey. Okay, I hate to be the cynic here. Do it. I will, I will take our listeners back to a <laughs> very famous scene from my season of The Bachelor. The Mean Girls. Myself, unfortunately, <laughs> Romy and Kat. We've developed and grown over the years, as, as, as we have seen. Humans do that. What do you know? Yeah. But there is, this <laughs> there is this spectacular scene where we're all sitting around and I think it was Kat that was worried that she was basically in Laura's position where, or probably more like Rebecca's position. We were quite into the show by this stage, but she had yet to form a substantial connection with the Honey Badger. And I remember that there is this scene where basically the production crew has said, all good guys, like anything else you want to add. We're talking about how Kat's feeling going into the rose ceremony. She says she feels nervous and crew start to pack up. Of course, you've always got a camera on you. And Romy says to Kat, time to turn on the tears, Cinderella. And I hate to be a cynic, but... The way that it was presented to us by the fabulous people in post-production was a little bit like Steph was, she's an Oscar winner, I think. I, (laughs) through my life. You're very good, Osha. You're such a beautiful, empathetic person. (laughs) 
so the through my life though, Alicia is like, and I say this to Audrey all the time. It's like this is why I would lose Survivor because I take people for what they are. I I never think of ulterior motives, and I never think that anyone would ever want to hoodwink me. I just it I I cannot think one level. That's why I'm a shit chess player. I can't think one level deeper. And I know that's what you kind of have to do sometimes if you're playing the more difficult parts of our community, like politics, for example, which is also Survivor. And so when I saw Steph, oh, the way I liked to see it, because I, I want to assume the best. I want to assume that somewhere inside Steph's like, oh man, I, I know that how I've been behaving and part of me knows that it's hurt people and this is it. And then the weapons come back and the armor goes back on and she drops probably what is in 17, 16, how many have we done? 19, including Batch in Paradise. In 19 seasons of exit interviews, probably the best line I've ever seen from an exiting participant in this show, I would marry my ex a thousand times before getting with Jimmy. Ha, ha, ha. It was amazing. It was spectacular and just phenomenal TV here. I was thoroughly entertained. But, and, and you know, reflecting on how, reflecting on her exit interview in this limo, I do take your point that potentially those tears that we saw was the crumbling. It's very, um, my actions have consequences and here they are. Here they are. And now I'm hurt because my journey is winding up. And perhaps she did think that, because I do think that her and Jimmy had a good connection, but the walls come crumbling down and maybe you are right. Maybe the armor went back on in the limo because it was just incredible. Chef's kiss. Oh, without a shadow of doubt. It was pretty special. No rose ceremony tonight and no me going into morbidly announced there will be no rose ceremony tonight. So cutting room floor once again. Well, it's not really a cutting room floor anymore. It's like unused clips. of. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you had to be basically like spliced into last season and now you're getting spliced out and you were actually there (laughs) spliced out but hey look i was there i was there there's photos to prove it i was there we're going to talk about episodes 11 and 12 right after this Now, Alicia, nothing says Bachelor more than getting back to the bush. Read that how you will. Did you get to go to the bush in Badger's season? I did. I did, but it wasn't quite so glamorous. Instead of glamping tents, we had swags. Uh And super fans of the show would remember that our Glenworth Valley swag adventure was... A big plot point was Romy and Swag Gate, and I was very surprised that there was no incursions. Is there? Is that the right word? <laughs> incursions into Jimmy's tent, apart from his rude awakening by Laura in the morning. But I was very surprised that we didn't have anyone sneaking into the tent, and I was quietly disappointed. As always, Alicia, just because you didn't see it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Not everything makes the cut. There might. I wasn't there overnight, so who knows? Let, let's just go from the start. There was this beautiful moment. I'm standing there in Glenworth Valley, which is north of Sydney, about an hour and a half north of Sydney. It's actually about an hour away from where Audrey and I got married. It's a lovely spot. 
as all the ladies start arriving, I look through the trees. I'm like, what? What's got? Lily's got a carry-on bag. Like she's literally rolling her carry-on bag along the track <laughs> over the rocks and the casuarina berries and like, what are you doing? Bless her. I love it. <laughs> but you know, we can't always judge a book by its cover. I remember when we went camping. Everyone gave Vanessa Sunshine so much slack thinking, oh, God, she's like, she was wearing heels to Glenworth Valley. And then, as you may remember, Osha, Vanessa triumphed putting her swag together in about two minutes flat. So, you know, Lily tells us that regardless of her carry-on baggage, (laughs) she's quite the camper. So I I thought she did pretty well. It was pretty special. It was pretty special. The way that everyone rolled in. But look, let's be honest. As we get older, our penchant for two-person tents or swags under the stars and pooping in a hole, they kind of leave us. And even Jimmy admits that. He goes, oh, these days it's a little more people bring generators and fire pits and, you know, yeah, I'm with it. I'm with it. Before we got to the tent overnight stuff, a fantastic body language expert joined us. It was really fun. It was very, very interesting. There was a lot of hate. Um, sniff me and a lot of intense eye contact. What did you make of the the sniffy part? Where do you stand on how someone smells? Oh, I think it's incredibly important. Look, you know my allegiance does lie with Steve the lie detector. (laughs) And so it took me a little while to get on board with Cartier. But, um, you know, I do think that pheromones are a thing. I do believe that. And I believe in scent compatibility as it doesn't sound lovely and I loved you know as much as as uncomfortable as it sort of was I really enjoyed the intense unwavering eye contact portion of Cartier's stitch up of these girls and Jimmy because I think that that's really important I wouldn't call it a stitch up I'll would, I would just say hey you've probably been avoiding doing this kind <laughs> that's of thing true. We, we probably that's should, true. we should probably do it probably do it now I thought what she had to bring and the what she revealed to everyone I thought was really quite good because like I'm saying like if you haven't had the chance to really go how does this person smell or you haven't had the chance to go oh there's something in their eyes that I've oh my god I've never seen that before wow like you might not have had the chance to look into someone's eyes when was the last time you looked in your partner's eyes for that amount of time it's do it it's wild to do it so you should totally do it it was great I loved it it was good for everyone but Jay Yeah, and this was the most interesting part of the date for me because obviously when we see the girls in the interview chair, they are recalling how they were feeling in the moment. But when you were comparing how Jay was basically narrating her experience to to that moment where she was sitting across from Jimmy staring in Jimmy's eyes, I could tell through Jimmy and Jay's staring that there was you could I I felt I felt it I felt that there was a disconnect there and it that must have been really challenging for Jay and she then had to sit with that moment for a while until later on they go horse riding so I thought she unpacked that really well and I was I felt a little sad for her that she had to sit there for you know however long and feel that disconnect. But it's important, like I said, it's important to do that kind of thing because it reveals things that you may not have realized in your own relationship. That night, they're sitting around the fireplace and brilliantly, someone comes up with the idea of playing Never Have I Ever, which is always a confusing game to me. I guess I started playing it after I stopped drinking, so I never really understood how it worked. It's kind of like a reverse thing. Like if you've, like, I don't know, let's say for example, Never Have I Ever Ridden a Roller Coaster. So if you have ridden a roller coaster, 
you take a drink. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's it. And right. it's not the best game to play when you're in the situation of all dating the same guy. Let's just say that. Look, it, there were lots of spiders in Glenworth Valley that were very safe because they were not there to do anything to them, if you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, they're, they're there to cut to the chase, all right? But it was tricky because they started to, you know, get to some rumors. They started to talk about cheating. It was all starting to hurry up. Now, when Jay and Jimmy did spend time alone earlier, as you mentioned, he did ask about the throwaway comment, but Jay is adamant that she never, ever said it. I don't know if Jimbo's convinced. Yeah, so after they go horse riding, they go to a beautiful setting and he's ready to unpack it straight away, this rumour that Tani... And, you know, this is where we get into the thick of it because I've used the word rumour, but once we get to the cocktail party, it becomes evident that, you know, Tani says, this isn't a rumour, I heard it firsthand. But getting back to Jay and Jimmy, Mm -hmm. Jimmy just puts it to her straight and says, look, this is what I've heard. I've heard that you said that you would prefer to come runner-up because they do better in the context, and it all fits into this context that we've seen play out on previous seasons where basically someone's accused of being there for Instagram and the public profile. And Jay seems very resolute that she would never say such a thing. And my favourite part of this interaction was I think once you get past the really uncomfortable conflict and the tension has died down a little bit, then they returned to the situation and Jimmy basically said, well, look, I hope there's no footage that comes out of you actually saying this. And Jay laughs it off and says, no, no, there won't be. And, you know, we haven't seen any, but I just, you know what we need to do, Osha? We need to get Jimmy's sister and Jimmy's mum in here, psychologists, to analyse this body language and how they're reacting because, you know, I I do think it's important to be nuanced in a situation like this, yeah. but I've got, I'm just going to lay my cards out there. I felt that Tani was quite compelling. I just don't know how... I I do believe where there's smoke, there's fire. And I think that you would have to be a very particular sort of cruel person to make up such a specific rumour to, well, I mean, in Jay's words, defame her (laughs) like that. What's your take on it? Uh, I wasn't there and I would never ask. Because if if it did happen in a makeup room, then there were at least two other people there who would have been the makeup artists. And I think it's super important that we protect those people. Yes, this is true. And it's very important. Like now we're starting to get into the mechanics of of how you make this kind of television. It's super important that these people never feel that their jobs are in jeopardy because they said something. They're too professional to ever say anything that ever gets said in that room. That is the job. Makeup is a vault. All right. It's sort of like a doctor-patient relationship. Yeah. This is their job. It's their employment. But it's also important for the girls as well to feel like they have an outlet. Like I definitely lent on the makeup artists yeah. as almost secondary therapists to the actual psychologists provided on the show to unpack issues. They never would ever say anything because it would be their job. It's also it's not unprofessional, utterly unprofessional to ever say anything. So. As you mentioned, look, there was a lot of specifics. Yeah, yeah, there were. And I think the one other thing that I really 
I really enjoyed watching it from a sort of fascinating third party unpacking their body language and their reactions. And once they were at the cocktail party and Jay confronts Tani with the runner-up rumour, that dynamic was just fascinating to watch. And look, my read on the situation was that Tani was basically a vault and she was... She wasn't getting defensive. She was just saying her piece, which I think is quite... I, I was I was believing her and I felt that Jay was getting quite emotional and defensive, which to me, I read it as, oh, you've been called out on something and now you're embarrassed. But as you said last episode, Osha, I think the one other thing that we need to take into consideration is that had she made the comment, it may have been made in the context of self-protection. Yeah, like, oh, look, for me, it's... I know people say deny, deny, deny. Uh, (laughs) But for me, it's like if you own something, then it's there on the table and you have the opportunity to then either be contrite or, you know, make an amends or show people that, yep, I did do that and now I'm going to show you how much I've changed rather than constantly having suspicion about who you are. Would be nice to see this at some of the upper levels of leadership in that country. But, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, just to say, if she did say it, a way to play it, like if you're ever in this situation, if there's anything we can get out of this episode, if, there's, if you're ever in this situation, it's like, look, I don't remember saying it, but sometimes when I'm scared, I, I probably would have said something like that because it would just been me defending myself. Like, of course, I'm really into it and I feel really vulnerable. And so to kind of get away with like, it's, you know, be like, oh, I don't even care is a way to protect myself. So that's probably where it came from. And that'd be enough for everyone to go, yeah, I understand that. But look, that's not how they played it. It was watching young Lily there stand between the two of them. It was like when you go over to your friend's house to play and their parents start fighting. You're like, I can't, now I can't, I have to wait for my mum to come and get me. Shit, I'm stuck. (laughs) Uh, And the Nintendo's out of batteries. Whoa, you know, terrible, terrible, trapped, trapped. Uh, But, you know, at the end of it, Jimbo goes with Jay on this, doesn't he? Yeah, and look, I think that that is understandable because I think when you put Tani and Jay against each other, unfortunately, I do think that, sorry, I shouldn't use the word unfortunately, but the fact of the matter is that Jimmy has a connection with Jay and now they're going to have to move, they, they will have to move on to the next chapter, let's say, of their relationship, where I think that this will be an active process where they're going to have to unpack whether she said it and move past it, even though that they've said that they've already moved past it. You know, I think that this is an important conversation to have. While I was watching this, I remembered that when I was in paradise with Glenn and we're moving through our relationship, I remember it must have been the first night that we didn't have cameras on us. So it was just before the commitment ceremony and you basically get a night without cameras to, you know, enjoy each other's company. And I remember one of the big conversations that we had that night was, I think, particularly in a Bachelor in Paradise context, you're always trying to suss out what's what's your motivation for being here? Does it fit into that bigger world of Instagram, public presence? And, you know, I, I quickly, I asked Glenn a few pointed questions about married at first sight and particular stars in the reality TV world. And when he didn't really recognize names, I was like, okay, I think I've got a genuine one here. Right. I think it will be a process for Jay and Jimmy, but do I think that they can get through it? Yes. And I think it is understandable that he chose Jay to give his rose to over Tani. 
yeah, tough for Tiny though. It was tough to see her leaving and no one wants to be put in her position. We move swiftly to the Bachelor Love Triathlon. And if you think that I have a good time coming up with names for these group dates, you would be right. It was pretty special to head on out to the you know cable ski world of New South Wales. It's not the one in Caloundra. It's actually you know one down here, which is cold. And anyway, it was kind of interesting. It was fun. There was this moment where Jay got quite ahead. Jay was an absolute weapon in this, all right? I was standing on a pontoon calling it right, and it was quite clear that Jay was just ruthless. And then turned around and said, I don't know, I want to give Ash my advantage, which was you know kind of interesting, particularly after what had just happened. I was confused. The ladies were confused. Jimmy was confused. What do you think was going on? Look, I, I actually understood this one slightly more in the sense that in the scheme of the show, there can be very long stretches of time between people having time with Jimmy. And, you know, Ash, I think, was our second episode single date. So her single date with Jimmy was a very, very long time ago. I think that we could take away from camping that Jay and Ash have a very close relationship. And again, going back to the timeline of the show, if they've just been camping and Jay's just had that horse riding date with Jimmy and they've just started unpacking their relationship and the conflict with Tani, that was probably very, it was close in time. And I think that If you're with Ash, you're really good friends with Ash. I think it would be natural to be empathetic to the fact that she hasn't had very much time with Jimmy. Mm. Do I think that it was the right move? And do I think that to like Jimmy authentically seemed, you can see in that moment, he was like, sorry, watch, like, what are you doing? Yeah, We're trying to build our relationship here. And you're, it's like sharing a bloody immunity idol or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) For me, it was... Why, if you're trying as hard as you can, as as you mentioned, if you're trying as hard as you can to rebuild your connection, if you're trying as hard as you can to rebuild your relationship and, you know, you've achieved this thing and, and you, the person at the other end wants you to be into them, for you to then go, I don't know, take her. Oh, hang on a second. And then how does that play into the, you know, the in the back of his mind, this thing that he'd heard about her not wanting to be there at the end to maybe not finish standing there next to Jimmy at the final ceremony. What ends up happening is that everything is a confluence of a butterfly effective chaos theory, but Ash ends up winning. Ash ends up taking it home and take, gets a rose. What could the reasons possibly be for Jay to give that moment to Ash? And then like, surely she knew that that was going to happen. I think it's that empathy that she's seen that Ash at this stage may have been like, we're talking weeks here. Ash could have gone four to six weeks without since her single day. I don't know the exact timelines. By the same token, Jay and Ash have spent that much time together in the match and I get it. I just think it is a very silly move at this late stage of the competition and Jay has basically in this moment prioritised Ash's feelings over Jimmy's feelings because as much as our Bachelor is sort of elevated and put on this pedestal, if you like someone and you're developing feelings for someone, for them to then be like, oh no, I'm going to let this other person have an opportunity to build upon their relationship with you, I would be like, it's a feeling of rejection for Jimmy. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, I think we see as it plays out this episode that Jay really comes to regret 
this series of decisions that she's made. Yeah, absolutely. It's also then all these other people are getting in with Jimmy and getting time with Jimmy and having these incredible connections. Carly and Jimmy, they make temporary love tattoos for each other, which having seen Rock of Love, I was a bit disappointed that she didn't get Jimmy tattooed on her. <laughs> I was disappointed we didn't get like a Lockie Gilbert full chest piece strength and honour. Uh, yeah. Jimmy Nicholson. Heather's Heather from Rock of Love still rocking around with that tattoo. Oh, you know, God. It's still there. And I don't know how long old that show was, but, you know, swings and roundabouts. Carly, man, I, Carly, she's playing the, you know, I know we don't like to talk Survivor, but Survivor style, she's take, she's playing the middle, right? She's just playing it. She's playing it. She's the other stuff is like. She's Pia. Do you think that is good? Do you think that's a good comparison? Pia. Yeah, she's Pia Miranda. The chaos is going above and below her, and she's just, hey, by the way, I'm still here, and I'm awesome. Gets the rose, beautiful thing, and then, ladies and gentlemen, rolling in with some B-O-E, that's estrogen energy, Brooke is back. Had a lot to think about while she was away. This was just awesome. One, I'm so excited to see Brooke back. I really, from the get-go, I've thought that they have a really incredible connection. I remember in Brooke and Jimmy's first chat, I think it was Jimmy that asked Brooke, do you believe in love at first sight? And Brooke said something. We'll have to wind it back. If you're a super sleuth, go back and watch that first episode because Brooke says something like, I won't tell anyone. And I felt like it felt like this very mutual electricity chemistry where she was basically saying to him from the get-go, I'm feeling what you're feeling and I'm not going to, you know, I will keep up the charade basically that we're not completely in love with each other. That's what I felt from that first episode. And honestly, I'm so excited by this season because, you know, I've said it to you before, Osha, that I feel like I really, having watched so much Bachelor, I really know the beats of the show to the point that for me, uh, having watched so many episodes, sometimes I can feel that the show gets a little predictable and I can pick what's going to happen. I just like this episode, episode 12, end of episode 12 with Brooke coming back. I don't know what is going to happen. I can't pick who's going to be at hometowns, which I usually easily can. It could be anyone. I think Brooke and Holly are sort of givens. And then I'm thinking Carly, but then what about Ash? I really think that so many people are in the mix. And I just think Brooke's entry really, really shook the girls because not only like her, the sparks were flying when they met each other and then they go away and she receives a rose and the last single date. And then she reveals that Jimmy and her have been calling and texting. Game changer. That one's a game changer because that he's kind of on call at any time. She can make his pocket buzz and say, hey, just thinking of you. And you can almost see that when, you know, I think it's when people form, let's say people meet online and you hear these stories of where people have basically been talking online for two years and maybe you know hopefully so we don't have a catfish situation that's moved from text to facetime and they basically like know the ins and outs of ev- of each other as people even though they've never met in the flesh sounds very like silence of the lambs mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you when they when these people do come together who have been talking online for two years they do know each other like they it, it's it isn't like 
someone meeting someone for the first time. And I do feel that when Brooke and Jimmy are reunited, it's almost like they have a new level of understanding about who each other are as people. And I think that that is incredibly intimidating for the other girls. What happened, so this all comes back to, like going back to the time when they were all having their love triathlon, right? There was this one time when I lived in America, I flew from Los Angeles to JFK, so LA to New York overnight, and we were right next to the galley. It was just a two, it was like a two galley two massive plane. I was at the window and the bloke who came to sit next to me, it was an overnight flight, the midnight horror. The bloke who came to sit next to me was quite tall and he's like, oh man, oh God. And I was like, mate, do you want this seat? I have the window. It's fine. You can have it. You can lean into it. It'll be fine. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, thanks. About 48 minutes into the flight, I'm like, I instantly regret that decision. I've got six hours here. And there was people bumping past me all because he was a big guy. So people were um, bumping past him all night. People bumping past me all night. They were waking me up as I go to the toilet. People, there was trolleys hitting me in the head. It was a very dumb move. So oh, no. in the moment, I was great. I was grateful to be able to be there and give this guy this thing. But over the night, I'm like, that's what you know. I, I, I'm still grateful that I did it. But I'm just thinking, this is what Jay. This is what happened to Jay. She's like, in the moment, I want to feel this thing of giving somebody something that I can give them. And then now it's like, yes. Ash, then Callie, then Brooke. And then now she's like, well, um, now I'm going into this rose ceremony, going, what just happened? What did I do? What have I done? But she still gets a rose. Alas, we say goodbye to probably one of my favorite, one of my absolute favorite bachelor participants in the entire series dear laura who brought us nothing but laughs and nothing but vibe and nothing but energy and nothing but pure 100 percent unadulterated laura with excellent diction we say goodbye to laura and that made that made me sad i was devastated by laura's departure and i just think you hit the nail on the head osha i have not seen someone through this series with such a beautiful mix of humour, vibes and vulnerability. Truly. I really hope that Laura returns to our screens at some point because Laura is the sort of person that I get invested in their love journey because there is someone out there for Laura. And it really saddens me when Laura shared a couple of episodes ago that she feels like she's too much for men or she doesn't tick every box or they think that they want her and then, you know, they have second thoughts because yeah. there are so many people out there who, you know, Laura's a step above. I think that people get intimidated by how vivacious and charismatic she is and I just, I want to see her bring back, let's do batch pad or something. If we can't find an island, we've got to, I'm trying to sift through some names and, oh, maybe Gilly. I'm just, <laughs> I'm putting out... <laughs> What, to go to Indo? No, no, no. I think I'm shipping Gilly the Clean Skin from Bachelor in Paradise with Laura. I'm just trying to identify people within the franchise that I think could be a good fit. (laughs) You want to send those two? Okay. Yeah. Put them in a house somewhere. All right. Fair (laughs) enough. Fair enough. Well, Laura, you will be missed. You will be greatly, greatly missed, Laura. 
That takes us to the end of another fantastic week of Bachelor. You can watch again next week from 7.30 on Wednesday. This is Cocktails and Roses. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts. This is a 10 Speaks podcast if you missed last week's show or you want to check out any of the insights of the last season of The Bachelor. You can find all their podcasts on the Cocktails and Roses 10 Speaks page on 10 Play. Thank you, Alicia Aitken-Radburn and Rachel Barrett and Ali Aitken, our producers. Bye. Until next week. Oh, you know the sign-off. See you next Thursday. Thursday. <laughs> See you next Thursday. That is because we're on Thursday. See you next Thursday. <laughs> <laughs>